0: This choircast podcast episode is brought to you by This Is Not Church Podcast and the letter F and you. <laughs> 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 if you've made it this far, my name is Nat Turney, my brother John Turney, and I co-host This is Not Church, the podcast, and this is sadly the level of discourse that you can expect to find if you tune in every Monday when we drop new episodes. But all joking aside, John and I see this as, a, as an opportunity for us to address issues that we don't think are addressed nearly enough inside of evangelicalism. So LGBTQIA plus issues, BIPOC issues, social justice issues. We like to talk to a broad variety and range of people and really try to find places of commonality for everybody so check out the podcast every Monday our episodes drop wherever you stream podcasts you can find us remember this is not church and to that John says peace a bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult a black mystic and a recovering evangelical what could go wrong this is the messy spirituality podcast with Lola Robbins Kyle Butler and Jason Elam. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Look at me. I said it right the first time this time. <laughs> if y'all could be with behind the scenes with us, you would know what a rare miracle that is. Miracles do happen, folks, right here on the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I'm Jason Elam, and I am joined by my good friends, Lola and Kyle. Y'all introduce yourselves.
1: Hi, I'm Lola from Auntie Lola's What the Fuck Bible Stories. It's spooky season, and I'm really happy about that because I fucking love October, and I love scary makeup and things like that. But I'm really afraid of horror movies, so fun fact.
2: And I'm Kyle, just a guy here trying to inspire everyone he can, however he can, to uh, believe in themselves, be the best version of themselves, and and you know, maybe along the way realize that you're a love being and. You you're worthy of love. You say that so casually.
0: <laughs> he well, it's because he says it so often, right? I know. It's like it's like the most natural thing to come out of Kyle's mouth because he said that's that is who Kyle is. It's just very normalized,
1: uh, and I'm not used to yeah. that as a as a broken person in general. <laughs> I'm not used to normal, healthy phrases like that. Kyle, you're just the best. This is your show. Well, like you are, and best, I was I wasn't
2: always this way, so. Well,
0: one day I want to really unpack that journey Mm -hmm. of what took you to where you are because, I mean, I know I interviewed you on this show a long time ago, but a lot's happened to you since then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I would love to unpack that. So maybe we can have that conversation at some point in the near future. Guys, I have some amazing news. Are you ready?
1: Is it about weed?
0: No, it's not. Sorry. We will get to the good news about okay. weed later, Lola. Don't oh. jump ahead. Some of us are thinking about drugs every minute of yeah. every day, Lola. Suggesting something. I'm sorry. I'm something there you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> we got our first patron on Patreon today. Yeah. Yay! Yay! Yeah.
1: I'm so excited.
0: We roll in. We roll We are so excited to welcome you as our very first Patreon. You now have access to two Lola videos. Soon there will be a video that I'll do on there and I'm sure Kyle will do one in the future. But Kyle's, you know, he's putting out incredible content every day in every space. So, but we will send, uh, send you some personal love. I have a signed copy of Before You Lose Your Mind that I will be sending to you shortly. So, Uh, Thank you so much, Cat Love. So grateful. Yes,
1: we love you, For your support. You're the best. Thank you, Cat Love.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So friends, if you would like to be like Cat, and really who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to be as awesome as Cat Love? I agree, I agree. I mean, just that name. (laughs) Who wouldn't want to be that cool? Uh, Join us at Patreon slash Messy Spirituality Podcast. We would love to have your support as well. And that will give you exclusive patron-only access to all kinds of cool stuff right there on Patreon. So thank you so much, Kat, and thanks to all of you who will be joining our. We are so grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, on to the other good news of the day. Uh, today, as we're recording this, the president has pardoned all federal marijuana possession crimes which is a really big deal. We actually talked about this. That's the power of this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. No, not really. I'm just kidding. Yes, it is. Um, take credit for that. We did, take credit. We didn't do it. But we, I, I kind of feel like we manifested that on the last episode.
2: We did. We, we put it out there. We put that energy out there. We
0: did. We said it would be a game changer if that were to happen. And it happened today. And I am so excited So for so many of my friends and the people that I work with who have a record that has prevented them from getting the job that they want or going to higher education and now that's going to be expunged that's i mean yeah. they've been pardoned yeah and they're going to take a look at reclassifying marijuana i mean that is such a big deal what do y'all think about that
2: i think it's great i think it's great i think it's long overdue i mean we're talking about you know i, I listen i i, I smoked weed pot, ganja, whatever you want to call it, when I, when I was in high school a little How bit. How old are you, Kyle? Ganja? Okay. I was just trying to pull out some other words that I, I remember hearing. I didn't call it that either, you know. Ah. We just always called it weed. Hmm. But, and I, and I was around people who, who did it. And my, my nieces and nephews, most of my nieces and nephews, I mean, they, they do it like, it's like a daily thing. But, um, I've I've never seen or experienced anything bad happening to someone who smoked weed. So I think that it, it's it's just something that got thrown in there and you know, got over glorified as being bad. And uh I'm I'm glad that President Biden did what he did and I hope that they do reclassify it and, and knock it down to a appropriate place that where it should be. Cause it's probably it should be more in a recreational type of uh category than something that's illegal. I mean it's a plant for crying out loud. It's broccoli. Come on.
1: It's broccoli.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> well how about you? What do you think?
1: Uh Kyle, I agree with the broccoli statement. It's not a drug, it's just broccoli.
0: But Yeah. You mean the devil's lettuce? That yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that which too. is fine. I mean <laughs> if you're in
1: my, my line of work I, the devil doesn't really exist. So,
0: But if you want to make vegetables sound appealing to teenagers, you call it the devil's lettuce.
1: It does sound more appealing that way, doesn't it? It does. It sounds
0: better than green leaf. It
1: reminds me of cabbage when you say that, though. The devil's lettuce. I just think of an alternative.
0: Cabbage is the devil's (laughs) lettuce, for
2: real. I enjoy cabbage. Speaking of using the devil, there's a restaurant up near me called uh, Famous Dave's. And there's it's a great barbecue place. And they have a barbecue sauce on the table with a few others that they make. And one of them's, one of them's called The Devil's Spit. Oh. And it's, I, it's the one I always... It's, it's, it's the one I always reach for. It's so appealing.
1: I, I'm going to tell you, I thought you were about to go down a rabbit hole of like... And you know that Dave is actually the devil. And... Uh. Like... Call out an entire like corporation over that for some
2: reason. <laughs> yeah, not my bag. Sorry. I'm
1: just really happy that <laughs> that people are, are being pardoned for drug charges because, I, I mean, especially with marijuana, some people get sentenced to a, a super long time to serve, whereas a rapist could only like have to pay a fine or something. Like, I just don't understand. Our justice system is broken, but... Yeah, I just, uh, I've never understood the whole pu- wasting taxpayer money to put somebody in prison over a harmless drug that they have every right to put in their body. Not a drug, whatever. Ugh, I don't know how to talk about it anymore.
0: Cause it's an herbal supplement. It's an
1: herbal supplement, yes. The grass. Don't people that's call it grass? grass?
0: Yeah, Yeah. I do.
1: That, that's a very 60s term, I think. I don't know. Gondra, <laughs> I can't. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I don't Mary know how that popped in. Oh, Mary Jane, there you go. There's another. She's
1: thing. a she's a good she's a good one, Mary Jane. Yeah.
0: Well, on that note, it's time, ladies and gentlemen, for the super spooky Auntie Lola's Bible story.
1: Thank you. Eric doesn't have to add sound effects anymore. So, our first story for. The month of October is going to be the night of the living army. So at this time, King Saul is off the throne and David is taken over. And David's not exactly the best king Israel ever had. But I mean, the guys that come after him are a mixed bag and they're more bad than good, it seems. So um, God keeps sending these prophets year after year, trying to warn people that like, hey, if you keep treating each other like shit, there's going to be consequences. So fast forward a little bit. Uh, Jerusalem is pretty much desolate. There's been exile. All hope is lost. And so in the years of exile, apparently in the background, God is said to be working and uh, raising up a lot of prophets to, you know, encourage people, give hope, things like that. And, uh, so one of the prophets, his name is Ezekiel. And God's good news came to him in the form of zombies. So the Bible explains it as a vision where God has transported Ezekiel to this dark valley that's full of human bones. And Ezekiel's walking around and he notices like these bones are like super dry. They've been here for years. It's just like an abandoned wasteland. And so God tells Ezekiel Ezekiel to prophesy life or speak life over the bones. And so he does this little magic witchy thing. And uh, while he's speaking, he starts to hear like rattling noises and suddenly the bones are coming together, skin and tendons and muscles are growing. And then there's just a zombie army in front of him suddenly. And then it's, it skips in the text and says, finally, the breath of God comes and fills the undead army. So there's no telling how fast or how slow this happened. Ezekiel may have been like, wait, give me time to process, hold on. But at no point is there like a lightning strike or someone saying like, they're alive. Yeah, so apparently this whole vision, we don't have to work super hard to find the answer as to what it means. God is spelling it out to him saying like, these bones are the house of Israel. And you know they look dried up. They look like everything's dead, perished, cut off. But he's going to open the grave and bring you back to life. So it's very Tim Burton style to communicate hope with people. But a little twitchy, little witchy story of a magic man making bones come to life.
0: Yeah, that that story is like a bad acid trip. (laughs) (laughs) For real.
1: Jason, have you done acid?
0: No, I have not. Okay. I've never done anything. Anyway, <laughs> I, that that story is just a trip. I mean, I remember, and, and what's funny is we've taken this story, which is exactly what you just called it. It's a zombie army, it's like the walking dead to give you hope for your future. And we've turned it into beautiful worship music.
1: Wait, what
3: worship we music? We call
0: out the dry bones come alive, come oh. alive.
1: I forget. It's Church of Christ. We have old hymn books. We didn't do any of that contemporary stuff. But yeah, that
0: one. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. You missed out on Laura, Lauren Daigle, didn't you?
1: I, you know what? I ran into, not into her, I ran into her parents at a restaurant I used to work at. They came in and they really? heard her song playing on the radio. And like I stopped at their table and they were like, no, oh, this is our daughter. And I was like, what? <laughs> so yeah. Very cool. Fun, fun anecdote
2: there. Did you know that there's some churches that actually believe that story, teach that story, preach that story literally—that that literally happened?
1: They teach it as a vision right. or as like an actual account?
2: No, 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 that that it literally happened. I've sat like it's historical fact. Yeah, like I've sat under preaching. Oh my god! I've probably preached it that way too because that's the way I heard it. Mostly that this literally happened because mm-hmm. when the question was asked, "Can these bones live?" And Ezekiel yeah. says, well, only you know. And God said, it was kind of like, well, let me show you. And it's in a lot of churches, it's actually preached as a real story that these bones really came up out the ground and the, the the skew ends and the ligaments and flesh and all that stuff came back and all this 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 army literally came to life.
1: I just want to know if Ezekiel was like freaking the fuck out or if he was like, was he dreaming? And so he didn't really have a freak out. It was just like, oh, this is happening. Okay, weird dream. And then wakes up all sweaty and is like, okay,
2: <laughs> hope. Well, you know, there was always some weird things going on with Ezekiel, according to his writings that God told him to do. Like there, there's one story where it said God told him to lay on his side, his right side for a whole year, mm-hmm. and then lay on his left side for a whole year and... Again, in some churches, it's literally preached that he laid on one side for a whole year, did not move, and then flipped over and laid on the other side. God
1: just fucking with people, <laughs> trying to give them dead sword, right. it sounds like.
2: Exactly. That's
1: some major blood pooling problems. <laughs>
0: right.
2: Just like, like what? How
0: bored <laughs> do you have to be to come up with a religion wrapped around these stories? I yeah. mean, seriously, yeah. this
2: is. yeah whoo, wow. We did it, These these, these stories are preached, Uh, you know, often. And like Jason said, songs have been made about these kind of things.
1: I just didn't know it was preached literally. I mean, I always heard it as, it was a vision. It was a dream. It was a, like, premonition kind of thing. I don't know. It wasn't realistic happening right before his eyes. But it kind of makes it more cool to preach it the other way, though.
0: Bizarre. (laughs) Uh, Very. Well, we're going to have something really cool in this episode. Lola is going to interview a really cool person named Haley Dixon. Um, Lola, can you tell us about Haley?
1: Yes. So Haley, she's incredible. She's a musician. She grew up in South Dakota. She's lived in Alabama, uh, I think a little less than 10 years. She's married to our friend Patrick.
0: Patrick. We love Pat, Pat, Pat.
1: A shout he's out awesome. to the band Rumors that he's with. Yes. Amazing music. Yeah. So she, she writes a lot of like evangelical sounding songs, but they have like a twist with the lyrics. It's kind of like anti, anti religion, anti cult Christianity type stuff. She also, you know, she, she grew up queer and with a lot of severe mental, I guess, disabilities. And she was rejected a lot by the church and by her uh, family sometimes. And so she's just really overcome a lot of things in her life. And it's really nice to be able to see her bloom on her own and really able to cultivate a life that makes her the happiest and the most proud. And she's just, she's doing really well. And I'm I'm really loving her music. Just uh, the new EP that she's putting out is just chef's kiss.
0: Beautiful. Well, I'm really excited to hear this conversation. So now we're going to take you, friends, to Lola's interview with Haley Dixon.
1: Welcome to the Messy Conversations. I'm your host, Lola. We're recording this on a Sunday. And I hope that if you are a deconstructing Christian, that you are in your pajamas having a lovely day to yourself. And today I have Haley Dixon. On the podcast, Haley is a songstress. She's a wonderful musician, and she it has a, a bone to pick with American evangelical churches. Um, she grew up queer with a severe mental disability. Haley often felt rejected not only by the God she grew up with, but the church as a whole. She escaped a cult only to be brought down by what others assumed were good, healthy churches. Now Haley lives to tell the tale by writing songs that feel like worship music with just a hint of sacrilege, which I really fucking love because I, I like that sound of, I guess, secular Christian music, but I hate the lyrics. So I'm really enjoying her music right now. Um, the song that she has out right now, she may have more out when this comes out, but right now is 99, and I highly recommend that you listen to that. So welcome in, Haley.
3: hello. Hello. We're so excited to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I will let everyone on the pod know that I put in a 20-hour day yesterday doing all the queer things, supporting the community. So I'm a little tired, but I am very happy to be here.
1: Yes. All the queer things. I love that. So... We're just going to jump right into this. I Obviously, you did grow up in an atmosphere of face. So can you tell me what that looks like for you growing up, whether as a, a kid, teenager, anything like that? You can start wherever it feels comfortable. Yeah.
3: So um, my story is like similar but different to yours because I know we've talked about this before. But because I know you're, part of your intro is, uh, you know, a bisexual hairstylist who escaped the cult. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening, girl.
1: But yes, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate absolutely. that support. I
3: love that intro. But um yeah, I I grew up in rural South Dakota. And for those of you who don't know much about South Dakota, it's about eight hundred thousand people total in the whole state, and most of it is small, small towns. So um that's less than the Birmingham area, I believe, just in that state. So I think it's easy for things to kind of fester in environments like that. You know what I
1: mean? Like in smaller communities, things are just a little bit more um, concentrated when it comes to religion. Is that? Well, it's like
3: everybody, there wasn't a lot of diversity where I'm from. A Uh, bunch of white people? Yeah. And I don't want to, definitely don't want to erase the indigenous community that's there. Love and light to them. But um, there, there, it was very fraught, but that's a story for another day. But um, everyone that I personally was around was like straight and white and Christian, you know? So I feel like in those small town environments when everyone you know is straight and white and Christian, um, you don't you don't know what else is out there. So it's easy for things to kind of grow and faster and foster. Um, so I grew up in a cult. And I do not use that word lightly. Um, It was ran by my... Was
1: there like a specific name for it? Or like, was it a specific denomination? It was Christian-based cult, right?
3: Yes. So I don't particularly feel comfortable name dropping them because it is a very still, it's still going.
1: I heard that you don't have to name call unless you want to. (laughs) Okay. But it's, I liked to joke that it was an
3: indie cult. Like we were an underground cult. Nobody heard of us because it was really at its largest, like a group of like 30 to 40 people living in the rural Black Hills. Um, and a little bit of my experience, the leader, prophet, pastor, whatever you want to call him, whatever he wants to call himself, he, he was slash is my uncle. So that's how, that's how we got involved. So I was born there, born and raised. And uh, the things to me that classify it as a cult are some of the key characteristics of you get shut out when you leave. You don't let other people in unless they're going to be a part of the cult. So I'll just tell you some specific instances. Um, I saw people ask him, like, what is God telling you that I should name my baby? What is God telling you about the carpet I should have in my house? what is God telling you about the car that I should drive? Like they treated him like he spoke directly to God and had a direct line, but that he was the only one who did. And like, I grew up believing that we were the only ones that were going to go to heaven. Like, that's what I thought. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was Christian based. So they were using the Bible, but it wasn't, you know, and people use the Bible for a lot of things. Um. And it was very cherry-picked, very picked over, and very used to his liking, used to his, for his benefit. His agenda, kind of? Yeah, his agenda, absolutely. You'd be told terrible things. He had a whole thing about excellence, where he'd be like, oh, God demands excellence. And if your house isn't clean, if I come over here on a... Tuesday at 7.30 and your house isn't clean, and you're not holy. And it's like kind of being told that God
1: essentially hates you and that you're sinful and unworthy. And so God's excellence is measured by his standards of cleanliness. <laughs> that's one of those being perfect,
3: being perfect cleanliness is just an example, but yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah. Um, it's, I went through so much, Lola. It, it, being told, like some of the things that are told in my face, like, you will never be more than second best. Ouch. Wait,
1: why? Why would they tell you? Like Because
3: he decided who did what. And I'm a singer. So he decided I was going to be a singer. Um, but my cousin, who I have now recovered a relationship with, who has since escaped this cult, was also a singer. And he kind of was like, well, this is my son, so he needs to be the one who's seen as the best. So he was like, kept pitting us against each other. And it's no fault of my cousin, but he kept pitting us against each other. And he was like, yeah, you'll always be second best. Like you're, you're always gonna be second straight. And I was probably like 13 when he said that to me.
1: Shit, that's horrible. Yeah. To hear that as a child from your uncle.
3: As a child. And it, and it's like those messages got so convoluted with with the idea of God. Because like he spoke for God. So it was like God was telling me, yeah, you'll only be second best.
1: You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, that makes sense. That's absolutely horrendous. I'm so sorry that happened to you, Haley. I mean, obviously a lot of good has come out of it, but I hate to do that whole like religious spin. Oh, God uses bad things <laughs> to, to turn people's lives around or make yeah. them an example of, but you're like kind of, completely opposite of that it seems especially like through your music thank you um like there's some part in the 99 pretty much you're saying god wouldn't come for you right you called kind of thing so like that's just really uh powerful that it seemed you dedicated so much of your life uh to being perfect and meeting that standard based on the mouthpiece of god being that white male and then whenever you needed support, it just wasn't there from the deity you served. That's got to be heart-wrenching, especially being a, a kid.
3: Yeah, it definitely was. So to kind of put some bookends on the story, you know, we were suffering, my parents were suffering for like 16 years under the spiritual abuse. And we were all told, I don't want to tell anybody else's story, but everybody had something that they were told that was to keep you under his thumb like the more insecure you are the more the more that you don't believe yourself and you doubt yourself the more susceptible you are to abuse and that's not to blame anybody because i don't think anybody is ever at fault for abuse but um it's like it's more when you don't know yourself and when you're under somebody else's thumb it's like it's going to happen so um We, my sister actually left the cult first and we excommunicated her for a year. I was not allowed to talk to my sister for a whole year.
1: Did you want to talk to her or were you kind of so steeped in indoctrination that you also agreed with the decision?
3: I wanted to talk to her, but I wanted her to come back because I thought if I could make her come back then I could have my sister again. But that, Mm -hmm. in my mind, that was the only way. Yeah. Um, So I remember making her this scrapbook that was all pictures from her time in the cult. And uh, I gave it to her at Christmas because we were allowed to see her one Christmas. And I remember her face just fell. And Uh. I didn't understand why. But eventually, my parents realized, like, the veil was kind of pulled back. My mom describes, and I... Personally, I'm not, um, I've definitely been through a deconstruction journey. I'm not really a person of faith as of right now, but, um, my mom still definitely is. And she said there was a moment where she like fell on her knees and she feels like God revealed to her the deceit she was under. That is her story. Wow.
1: And that's powerful.
3: Yeah. And, and I never would take that from her. I, I mean, we got out. So, you know work,
1: but... <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, we can never discredit anybody's spiritual experience no right. matter how insane it may sound. You know, it, if we haven't experienced it firsthand, how the fuck should we know? Oh, we so, know.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, my sister was kind of the catalyst that caused us to leave and uh, my uncle owned a bunch of businesses and it was like one of those things where you had to like work for one of the businesses. Like you were so entrenched in this cult. And, um, my dad worked for one of those businesses. He had for like 16 years, he worked for an electrician company and he lost his job because we are no longer attending this church slash cult. Um, so we ended up moving to like a city over and kind of completely restarting. Uh, we lost everybody that I had known my entire life. Like I said, I was born into it and we pretty much just had, it, it was hard because, Nobody wanted to talk about it after that.
1: Like after the separation and everything? Yeah. No one wanted to talk about why everything happened the way it did?
3: Yeah. Like I think when you go through something traumatic, you have to identify that trauma and try to heal it. But nobody wanted to talk about it. It was just like that happened. That was a dark time in our life. We don't want to talk about it. So what my parents did, and this is... And I definitely love and lights like my parents. I'm working on my relationship with my parents. They're great. But... All they knew to do was jump straight into what we thought was like a normal church, uh, you know, with a proper youth group and a proper praise band and a and a van full of kids ready to eat some baked beans at the park. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, I know what you mean. They just wanted some sense of normalcy when it came to the spiritual past for them and their kids.
3: You are so good at summing up what I'm saying. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, because I feel
1: like I'm like, I don't know what's going on. No, you're doing great. Like it's it's weird to delve back into your past and kind of get a timeline for it. It can be a little bit uh, disorienting because so many things transpire over a period of years. And like... Half of it, you weren't aware of at the time, and now you're just now becoming aware of certain things. Yes. So it's weird to articulate that in a past tense. I totally get that.
3: Yeah, and there's also this sense of like feeling, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, like feeling like I have to justify or over-explained to be like, no, it really was a cult. Like I promise I'm not just calling a regular church that. Yes. It really was a cult. Like, please believe me.
1: <laughs> no, it's, and you know what? My friend Andrew Pledger, he has a podcast just completely about like cult behavior and mm-hmm. like creation of cults and the downfall of cults and because uh, he grew up in one. Yeah. And so like he, he talks about, it's kind of not normalized to a cult, when you, when you say cult, you think of like, Mar- or I'm sorry, not Marilyn Manson. What's wrong with me? The Manson man, whoever. Charles Manson. Manson girls, Charles Manson, yeah. shit like that. So, and that was really extreme and led to murder. But mm-hmm. not everything is, it can still be classified as cult, but not end up killing people kind of thing.
3: Yeah. There's, there's levels of
1: severity, and there's different yes. categories,
3: different categories
1: people aren't really like interested in a mild cult experience. Like... No. That's probably what I experienced. You're probably more towards an extreme version since he kind of, it seems like he took over your entire community, not just within church doors, but outside of it with the whole like jobs and name my baby and weird fucked up stuff like that. So it it was just, you really had to escape it, like physically escape everything. That's a lot, but yeah, but yeah, um, uh, totally, totally valid. Your experience being in a cult, insane. You know, I escaped a cult.
3: Yeah, thank you so much, validation. I love validation. It's, it's my love language. It's um, important for all of us. <laughs> yes, but anyway, so we ended up attending a church in Rapid City, South Dakota, which is not a city, but it is if you're in South Dakota. So we started going to what people would have assumed as a regular church. But I think all of us on this podcast know that even the most regular churches have doctrine that can be very insidious.
1: Say it louder for the people in the back.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And so like, I don't want to talk about all my experiences because like I said, I'm working on relationships with family members and some of the trauma has to do with things that happen with them. But my experience was going to church, trying to give my whole life to God and throwing myself at the Holy Spirit and not ever receiving anything back. And it was like, I did it all. Like I didn't have sex till I was married, like not TMI, but I didn't. I never drank, never did drugs, never. I even got broken up with by a boyfriend for being too Christian. Oh, God. No, I did. as you said you were too churchy, and I can't do this. And I was like, God says that I'm not churchy enough. So, oh, my. Um, <laughs> so we ended up really entrenched in this church, and I eventually became the worship leader, and my dad was an elder. And it was because of that, part of my story is that I... I do identify as mentally disabled because I have several mental illnesses that are definitely more on the severe end of things. You know, we're on high doses of Abilify over here in this camp in the chat today. Yes. Are you
1: wearing your socks?
3: Are you? (laughs) My grippy socks. (laughs) No (laughs) grippy socks. Drinking out of your cup. Uh, No grippy socks today, but I was wearing them out with Lola the other day. It was true. I was like, you want to know? It was very
1: (laughs) very good very good content. Uh, And if any of our listeners um, (laughs) have ever dealt with severe mental illness, you might also own grippy socks. I encourage you to put them on now. No, I'm just kidding. Go on, Haley. (laughs) No,
3: you're good. I'm just kind of jumping around. I hope it's making sense, but...
1: No, it's definitely making sense. Great.
3: I had a mental illness and for the most part, everyone around me kind of believed that it was something I could pray away. And either believe believe that I could pray it away or that it was a sin. Like those are the two messages that I was getting. Those are the two messages that I was receiving. And in my music 99, it talks about the parable of the 99 sheep where supposedly God or Jesus or whoever went after the one sheep and left the flock of the 99 behind because the one was so important. And I use that parable in my song because it, the lyric says, you said there were 99 and I was the one, but I called your name and you still didn't come. And it's a callback to that moment of being like, I'm so sick. Uh, my brain is trying to eat me off a cliff every day. <laughs> and no matter who I talk to or how high up in the faith spectrum that they are, how much notoriety that they've gained in our faith communities, they will not help me. And it's like no matter how perfect I was, no matter how much I reflected the perfect Christian daughter, that help was still never available because I couldn't make myself unsick. I couldn't make myself be... Mentally, what they wanted me to be. And I, another part of my story is that I first thought I might be queer when I was 16. And I told my mom and I told a member of the church that was kind of a mentor to me. And the overall message that I got was not so much. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's a sin. And everybody, I'm going to give grace to everybody involved because like, they really thought that it was and that you're trying to protect somebody from hell and that's how they love. Yeah. Because that's what we're told is that we need to... The best way to love somebody is to hold their hand and pull them away from eternal damnation. Like that is the only goal. That is the only thing we could possibly be living for. And so I think people thought that, you know, this 16 year old girl says she likes girls. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She's young. It's a phase. The more I talked about it, because I was like, no, it's, you don't understand. It's not going away. Like you've kept saying, if I pray, it'll go away. It's not. And I treated it like like my mental illness, kind of like it was an affliction. And that's how it was like the modern leper kind of. And it was really difficult. So I stuffed that back down and didn't bring it back out until after I have a wonderful husband. He is supportive, loving, sweet, kind. I would not change anything, but my identity is my identity. And I realized I was queer later in life. I was like, I have the freedom and the agency to explore this in a way that makes sense to me, meaning not through relationships, but just through my own personal identity. And um, bi is bi, even if you are married to a man or dating a man or a cis man or whoever, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So only love for my bi kings and queens and non-binary friends. Uh,
1: But... So is it safe to say in some ways that the catalyst for your specific deconstruction was the mental illness and then also coming out as queer?
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, I can tell you a little story of the moment that I realized I didn't want to be in the church, if that's applicable. Please, yes. Uh, I want to know. So I went to a church that shall not be named because I kept going to churches because it's the only way that I knew when I moved to Alabama from South Dakota, it's the only way that I knew to get community and friends and where I would fit in, I thought, you know, if I was a certain way or if I presented a certain way because uh, the listeners can't see me, but I present very like kind of punk femme now. Um, but like back in the day, I was, you know, a smaller body size. I had long, straight blonde hair, um, dressed very like autumn girly Pinterest board. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a church girl. Like yeah. a tall <laughs> church girl. If that's your style, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just, I wasn't being my authentic self is the point. And so I'm mm-hmm. so entrenched in this idea that I had to go to church and that was the only place where I was going to find love and acceptance and overall uh, that I had to go to be saved from hell. Of course, you know, that's, don't we all love? the concept of hell. -hmm.
1: Um, Yeah, that's the the ultimate goal is to um, not go there when you're mm -hmm. in that, when you subscribe to that ideology. So yeah,
3: I know you guys get political sometimes. I'm going to get a little political. You can cut this out if you feel it needs to be cut out. Um, But I make a joke that I'm going to go to hell so I can fight Mitch McConnell. (laughs) (laughs) Can I help? help? (laughs) (laughs) Bro, I'm down there. I'm, I'm curb stomping Brett Kavanaugh. That um, yeah. <laughs> That's what's happening here today in the chat. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> keep that in if you want to. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, so I remember sitting in this church in the South and I was a worship leader and my husband was the um, audio visual guy. And we had brought in a... Guest speaker, like someone higher up in the Methodist church. I won't say which one specifically, but it is a Methodist church. And they were going through something at the time, and I think still are going through it, where they were deciding whether or not to allow LGBTQ uh, clergy specifically. And I was the worship leader, right? So worship in your church is a time to celebrate and connect with God or spirit and have fun, like raise your hands and sing along, clap, like that kind of thing. These people were always sitting there like little sardines in a can. Okay.
1: <laughs> Sounds so, like my church.
3: Yeah, little sardines in a can. And um, this guest speaker comes up and loudly declares into the microphone, clear as day, we will not allow LGBTQ clergy. And these people who have never sang along with a song in their life got up and clapped and cheered. Oh, that's hurtful. And I was at the precipice of realizing my own queerness and realizing that I wanted to support other queer people. I wasn't quite there yet with myself, but I was there yet knowing I wanted to support other people and that I have, I have a lot of trans friends and a lot of bi friends and gay friends and non-binary friends. And I already had at that point. And I was like, if I'm a very loyal person. I'm loyal down to my bones. And I was like, this feels like a betrayal to all the people that have shown me love and kindness. And I'm sitting here in this room. And it it just was such a clear moment of something snapped. Like where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. If it's like, I can't remember. It might even be from Rick and Morty, but I can't remember. It's like, why are you booing me? I've seen what makes
1: you cheer. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, your booze mean nothing. I've seen what you clap for. Yeah, I don't know if that's actually from Rick and Morty. I might have just no. It is. It is. Oh, as an avid watcher, yes, it definitely is. I was like, not Shout to- out. Rick and Morty, not a sponsor, but yeah.
3: Not to pull Rick and Morty into the chat. I just pulled that.
1: up. <laughs> I don't even watch that show really, but I've heard that. Well, group. Rick is God, so I mean, it's kind of. So <laughs> I guess it kind of oh. tracks with the pod. Jot that down.
3: But yeah, that. There was a lot of things that ignited my deconstruction and ignited my divorce from the church, but that was that was the clearest moment and I remember uh my sweet friend that I'm actually with right now picked me up, and um I won't you know name drop them either, but um she she identifies as queer as well, and I remember just like kind of crying in her car and being like, "I am so sorry." Like I, I have allowed myself to be in this, and it wasn't always my fault and I recognize that, but I, uh, I have allowed myself as an adult with autonomy to be around these people and to absorb what they're saying and to look up to them and to treat them as the higher power when really they're just spewing hate. And I know and it's not that simple, but it was that simple to me in that moment. So it, it was very clear.
1: So you don't identify as Christian anymore. You don't run in church circles anymore. Right. So with, with your newfound, you know, path, uh, when it comes to, you know, confidently, unapologetically identifying as queer and writing all these really, uh, anti religion songs and, uh, I know you practice a little bit of witchery sometimes. Mm-hmm, so I do. tell me now, can you describe your spiritual path in any way? It, you don't have to identify with a specific belief set if you're not there yet, but, yeah. but yeah, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, of course.
3: Um, so I, it was a pipeline for me. So I started out very, you know, in the cult, very conservative Christian. Uh, and then got to a more mainstream church and would have been considered more, you know, classic American evangelical. And then moved to the South. And I was still definitely in that American evangelical mindset. Um, and then I started deconstructing and I identified as a progressive Christian, but not everything was adding up for me, just for me. Mm-hmm. I'm a very black and white thinker. I struggle sometimes with gray areas. Um, And in progressive Christianity, deconstructing Christianity, you're really operating in the gray. Because the book that you've been given, you're kind of like, okay, I know I can use some of this, but the rest of this, I think I'm going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know what I mean? So for for me, I couldn't reconcile my identities with how I phrase it in my bio, the God that I grew up with. And that God was the God of the Bible. And so I went from being a progressive Christian, but I was working so hard. Like I was putting in so much work to still be. Like, okay, I'm going to be the perfect progressive Christian. I'm going to be accepting of everybody. I'm going to love all these different communities. But (laughs) back of my mind, hell feels imminent. And that concept of you are not enough. You will never be enough. You are incomplete. You need to be made whole. As someone with a mental illness, that destroyed me. So I realized for me, the only path to healing was to step away completely. So for a while, I took this phrase from my cousin, but for a while I identified as hopefully agnostic. Like I don't know what's out there, but maybe something. And now I'm pretty firmly atheist. And I know that's maybe controversial in the chat today because... Um, I have so much love in my heart for what you guys do as Deconstructing Christians. And I'm definitely been on that path. But for me, it's like, I,
1: how do I put it? I have some song lyrics. I feel like you best express yourself through your writing. If you want to talk about your song lyrics, you can do that as much as you want. Um, I just don't want... Uh, if you don't want to share that content, if you'd rather than just hear it in song, you know, I didn't know what she wanted to do for that. So if you feel it comfortable, I know our audience would love to hear about it.
3: Yeah. Um So the next song I have coming out is called Haunted by You. And that's the song I was going to pull the lyric from. Uh The f- opening line is, I said goodbye to being a believer, but I still believe in sin. And that's... Like if you ask me what I truly believe, like what my brain is actually telling me on the day today, my brain says there is no God, but also He hates me. Like, oh God, that that's where I'm at right now. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I went through a lot of anger at God, of just like spitting hissing mad, and now I'm at a point where it's like, you know, paramour. I'm not angry anymore. You can
1: cut that out if you have to. But, uh, no, that's great. Yeah. The the song, I'm not angry anymore. (laughs) Yeah. That one's,
3: I'm not angry anymore. That's how I feel. It's like, I'm not, I'm not angry anymore.
1: But do
3: you ever feel like, I don't think I'm a God. I don't think I'm a deity. I think I'm very much a flawed human being. But do you ever feel like God has to answer to you a little bit for some of the things that you've
1: been through? Oh, I, he's, he, she has a lot to, be held accountable for in my life. So, yeah, yeah, and for others. Yes. Yeah, I can't, I don't know anyone else's story, but I have a feeling a lot of our listeners right now are saying, that's me. Like, you have a lot to answer for when it comes to me and my path. Yeah. Because a lot of us get hurt. Yeah. Even if it's, I, I hate this whole narrative of like, the, the church hurt you, God didn't. That's not true. That's not true because I didn't pray to a church. I prayed to a God that didn't show up for me, that didn't save me, that didn't hear me and didn't hear people that I love. So yeah, yeah, this doesn't fall on the church. It definitely falls to whatever that thing is, Sky Daddy. Yeah, and
3: that's why in 99, the song that is released currently, um, Keep It On Spotify, the, Hell yeah! Do a plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll plug. Uh, the chorus says, "You said you'd come running when I got lost. You said there'd be grace so amazing, but why so high a cost?" And then it goes into the "You said there were ninety nine, and I was the one," uh, referencing that parable of the ninety nine. And I called your name, and you still didn't come. And I I wrote that song for little Haley, who was just a little bit of everything mentally who was dealing heavily with an eating disorder and self-harm and dating guys who didn't treat her well and crying herself to sleep every night to sad music because she felt so insignificant and not good enough for God or anybody else. I wrote that song for her because it was like, and I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting a little teary-eyed. It was... Um, A lot of this has been about healing my inner child, and also making music. Maybe that people
1: maybe don't want to hear, but need to hear. I would agree with that. I can get behind that. Yeah,
3: yeah. Like maybe it's like maybe I don't want to face this demon today, but go on this journey with me, as Mama D says in my uh, burlesque troupe
1: that I'm a part of. (laughs) Go on. I love that. (laughs) She says that a lot. (laughs) Well, first of all, I'm just really happy that this whole like songwriting experience for you is helping to heal the inner child because I think a lot of spiritual abuse obviously starts when we're kids so it's really important to heal little baby Haley baby Lola and yes that's the best place to start when we're trying to make a big ripple effect and help others to to truly accept and love themselves so I think that's a really powerful testament. And I really want to thank you just for sharing your story, being so honest and transparent and knowing that this is a safe place for you to talk about your story. So I just want our listeners to be able to connect with you. Yeah. Um, and I know you have a lot of social media. So whatever you feel comfortable sharing, if you want to share any, you can.
3: Yeah, so I share a lot on my personal social medias, but I did start a music page. So you can find me on Facebook. Follow me at Haley Dixon Music. Um, pretty simple. I'm the lady in the red dress. Lady in red. Dress. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, that would be the best place to reach me if you're interested in what I'm doing music wise. Um, and it it's Haley Dixon, H A I L E Y D I X O N on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, uh, Stream 99.
1: if you want. Lovely. I love that. Thank you for letting our listeners connect with you and sharing your story with them. Um, As always, guys, if you want to continue the conversation, uh, you can head over to Messy Conversations on Facebook and keep talking with us about this. And you can uh, connect with Haley on her Facebook page. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you are kind to yourself today. Please be gentle with yourself and others. Everyone's going through something. And we love you and appreciate you. And I hope that you all have a good
0: day. And we're back. We're going to put in the show notes uh, a link where you can get a hold of Haley's EP everywhere that you download music. We encourage you to get it. It's awesome. Uh, That song, 99, is straight fire. And uh, I hope that you all get it and love it. I remember not too long ago, are y'all familiar with Derek Webb?
1: No. No.
0: Derek Webb was a CCM a contemporary Christian musician. He was in the band Cademan's Call, which started off as like a worship band. And then they kind of conquered a Christian music for a long time. And then he went out on his own as a solo artist. And he would write songs that were like prophetically challenging to the church. Mm -hmm. Um, But then he deconstructed. And kind of the signal to everybody that the music and the artist were changing was when he wrote a song that was an absolute worship song, talks about, you know, we've come to depend on you and we need you and we can't make it through the day without you. And then there comes the chorus where he's, instead of saying the name Jesus or Lord, he says alcohol. Oh. And I remember hearing that song and it was like this wake up call. It was like this jolt. Oh my gosh, this man has changed. Well, that's what Haley Dixon's 99 song does for me as well. It's like, you know, she talks about you, you, you're gonna leave uh, the 99 to come after me, but I called for you and you never came. So it's really worth checking out. I hope everybody will. Agreed. So great job on that interview, Lola. Thank you for handling that. But um, now we wanna get into a serious conversation because I, I remember years ago as a young youth minister, one of the hardest conversations to have with teenagers, this young lady came up to me, her cousin had ended his own life. And I'm sure a well-meaning preacher, you know, there's a lot of well-meaning preachers who don't, uh, good intentions don't actually make what they do uh, redemptive in any way. And so I'm sure this preacher was well-meaning, but the preacher told them that anyone who ends their own life Go straight to hell. And I'm sure that preacher was just saying that to this young lady as a way of trying to warn her that she did not need to end her own life. But as we've seen so often in the religion of control, which is really what that's about, I don't want you to do this thing, so I'm going to tell you this really scary news, so you won't do what I don't want you to do. And obviously, nobody wants anybody to end their life. But um, Told this young lady that her cousin friend had gone straight to hell because they had committed suicide. Have you guys
2: ever heard stories like that? Absolutely.
1: Kyle, did you used to preach stuff like that? Did either of you guys used to preach stuff like that? Or
2: no, no, it 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 wasn't a belief that I held, but I definitely grew up hearing that. I would say I don't know. I, I would say, well, I, you know, if if they're saved or not, that would be the determining factor. I didn't talk about a lot. And, you know, Jason said something I think that's really important for, for, for us to all understand, not us here, but, you know, everyone to understand is that, you know, you have good intentions, but that's just not enough. And the one of the big problems with church in general is that it's, it's, it's a belief that the pastor has all the answers. So if you go to the pastor, if you go to the ministry staff or someone in ministry, you can sit down with them and talk about your issue or issues that they they somehow are going to have the answer for you. And they don't. They're woefully unprepared to handle and answer questions about life. And so, you know, that pastor who said that, he was not qualified in any way, shape, or form to, to make that statement. And think about the, the trauma, a statement like that causes to the person that hears it. You're already lamenting and hurting and, 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 and torment over the fact that your loved one took their life. But now you have to think, every time you think of them, you're going to think of them in hell's fire. Yeah, who does that help? Yeah, Exactly.
0: That kind of stuff has always made me so angry. So Lola, to answer your question, no. I, I probably did believe that at point, one point, but from the moment that young lady came to me with that question, I have been angry at preachers who would say things like that. I, I mean, even when I believed that, you know, some went to heaven and some went to hell, I still had this mindset of who the hell do we think we are? to decide who goes where. It's like pretending to know the mind of God, so yeah. Right, yeah. And and I mean, I I think the easy answer for me back then was who knows what happened in their dying moments. Right, exactly. You know, after that trigger was pulled or after they took the pills or after whatever, when they cried out to God and said, what have I done? You know, that was the caveat that I offered then to give people hope. And of course, you know, that was my hope as well back then. Well, now... And again, you know, we all have different theological um, beliefs at this point. That's what makes the show good. But uh, as, as someone who still clings to Christianity in some ways, I'm grateful to now be on the hopeful universalist side of things where I really believe that whatever God has for the hereafter, and we'll talk about this in the next episode, uh, everybody gets a part of it if they want it. And um So I don't, I don't know. But uh, that kind of talk, what that preacher said to that young lady doesn't help anyone. And I don't understand
2: why they would do it. You know, there's another part of the story of that situation rather that sometimes I think about, and I, I understand the, the pain that Family members feel when someone takes their life. I, I, I can only imagine. You're right. So a mother, a father, a brother, sister, a best friend, a you know, a, a dear person. I, I can understand what that is probably like. But then there's there's a part of me that thinks about the person who did it, and I think in some ways, and I, I really don't want to sound insensitive to the issue, but in some ways, I wonder if these people are actually brave. Because perhaps they've seen that there's something better on the other side of life, and perhaps they've said, "You know what? I, I don't want to do this anymore because it's just too much. And it's too bad. It's too hard. And there's I've seen something better, and I'm going to go get that."
1: So it could be like a form of enlightenment in some ways. Perhaps like maybe in some ways. Had a, a glimpse into that, and then decided like. I think this is a good path and this would be better than what I'm on
2: now. Yeah, because I I think the reason why people do it, I I, I would assume ultimately is because they're just tired of hurting. I mean, I recently went through a moment where I felt the same way, like I don't want to hurt anymore. There's got to be something better beyond this pain because it felt like the pain was never going to end. And I thought about it and I never thought I would ever think about it. And I actually, you know, had a device in my hand. But I just knew I wanted the pain to end. And How did you get through that, Kyle? It was hard. It was very hard. I tried to think about my niece, Caitlin, who was like a daughter to me. And um, I would think about her and... I would kind of see her devastated, not understanding why her uncle did this. And, um, and then, and, you know, from that, I was able to think about other family members as well. But it wasn't easy. You know, when, when someone's hurting and hurting for a long period of time, you just come to a point, you say, I just want the pain to end. And that is the only thing you can think of in most cases. You know, take the knife, stab yourself in the heart. It'll be all over. Just like that. The pain will be gone. You, you won't feel this way. Especially if you're in a deep, deep pain or a deep, deep depression for a long, long time and you feel this pain every single day, all day long. And there's nothing you can do to make it go away. So, you know, sometimes I wonder if, if you know, these people are a little bit more brave than cowards. Like, it's, like they've been labeled. Yeah, I, I think it's really
0: unfortunate That, you know, for a long time people would say, well, it's just so selfish. And I understand there is a fallout, there is an aftermath. There are going to be people. I was literally
1: about to say
0: the selfish thing. Go ahead, Lola. What were you going to say about it?
1: Well, so rest in power, rest in peace to my friend Josh Barfield. In 2020, he ended his life and we had been close through high school. And he had just always been. Hurting mentally, just emotionally. And he had sought out help for this before. And he had, I mean, it's not like he just decided, yep, yeah, this is fine. Like I've been hurting for a little bit. This is the way. He had pursued several different outlets to try to cope with this, heal this, and nothing really stuck for him. And I, didn't realize that post high school that he was still struggling with it because he's just not one to wear his heart on his sleeve. And uh, after, after he had passed, I was pretty devastated about that. And I remember my, I told my mother that it happened and she had remembered him and she was like, Oh, that's just so selfish of him. You know, he's, he's just so selfish. And I just, something like my blood just started boiling, just thinking like, this was anything but, like, this was anything but selfish. I mean, he tried every out. He tried everything. I watched him. Like, he tried everything. and, And this was just the last resort. He didn't mean to hurt other people. Like, that was not the intention to traumatize other people. Even though that did happen, That was not his end goal. And I just, that's never made sense to me, calling it a selfish act. I think
0: this is one of those situations where we've just got to give everybody grace. I mean, we've just got, let's be human beings for God's sake and, and not pass judgment on everyone and everything for all the things we don't understand. You know, I mean, that, that statement, it's so natural to say, oh, they're, they're so selfish. You know, they did this to their family and their parents and their children and they're No, they did the best they could. Yeah. They tried until they couldn't try anymore. And yeah. the
1: amount of dedication that goes into actually executing the act, it, it's a lot. I mean, if, if you've ever been in a position where you have attempted and failed, you know that your, your body wants to survive. Like we are made to live. That's the whole, that's all our body is trying to do at any point in time is live and survive. So it's extremely hard to do that, um, physically, first of all. And then it's a whole other level on top of it emotionally. And the way that you distance yourself and you know it's hurting others and you know it's hurting you, but you, You don't see another way to do this, you know? Like the amount of dedication that it takes to go through with something like that is powerful.
0: And it is a heartbreaking reality of the world that we live in, right? I mean, it's, it's happening a lot. A couple of years ago, a high profile pastor had ended his own life. And it was at a time where there was a lot of that taking place. And so I reached out to my friend, Steve, who had survived his own suicide attempt. And had him on the podcast and we talked for a good hour, maybe hour and a half about, you know, providing some tools and tips for if you're tempted to end your own life, how you can get through it. And um, sadly, about a year later, Steve ended his own life. And I mean, it's just devastating. And, you know, we here we are having a conversation about this tonight. And um, friends, we're so grateful that you're listening. But if you're struggling and wondering if you can go on. We're thrilled to offer this podcast and these conversations, but we're not counselors. And so I would encourage you tonight, if you're struggling, you can just dial 988 from any cell phone, and it will put you in touch with the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You can text them at 988, and they will respond. You can even uh, chat with them on their website. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. It's 988lifeline.org. And they can just chat with you right there on the website if you don't want to pick up the phone. Um, sometimes it just gives us a little bit of comfort to keep it a little, little less personal yeah. and uh, you know, do that online. So I just yeah. want to encourage you, if you're struggling tonight and you feel like hope is lost, but something inside of you is wanting to hang on, uh, call somebody who actually can help you, 988. 988- on a cell phone, you can text them. You can call them. You can visit nine eight eight lifeline dot com. Please,
1: please do that.
2: Yes, please do.
1: Can I talk about the flip side of it? Yep. I guess um, with suicide, you know, I think in some countries they have assisted suicide. Um,
0: yeah, especially for we have like, it in some states here.
1: Do we have it here? Yeah, in some that. states. I, I know that we. I, I it's mostly used for like. Um, I guess people that have terminal illnesses or that like are really close to the edge of death, I guess, but just in...
0: People who are suffering.
1: Yeah, an intense amount of pain and suffering that they're eventually going to die like pretty quickly and it it just kind of speeds up the process. Would, Would we also condemn those people or like the doctors or physicians the way that we condemn people that actually pull the trigger, take the pill, um, tie the news kind of thing.
0: Hmm. That's a really interesting question, isn't it? Uh, I've seen so many over the years preachers uh, call down hellfire and brimstone on anyone even considering suicide. I wonder how they would feel if they were sitting next to a terminally ill brain cancer patient who was in chronic pain every moment of every day and just wanted it to end.
1: And if it was their family member too. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, their mother, their child.
1: Yeah, I I hate to see anybody suffer. Like I cannot sit still if I know that someone around me is suffering in some way. Um, I just want to help them by any means necessary. Not to say like, yeah, let's just kill this person or...
0: No, of course not. Not like that, but like... We're not talking about being flimsy with life. We're talking about treating every life with dignity. Yes, absolutely. You know, we're taught that it is cruel to keep an animal alive who is suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But why do we think that, well, you know, well, God has appointed a time to die to everyone. Hmm. Well, some people are suffering. Yeah. And some people may need help. And, uh, you know, those are decisions I think that people need to be making with their own doctors and not at the state level, not at the federal government level, and certainly not at the church.
2: Not no. at the spiritual level. Nope. You know, there's a there's a concept and idea and a belief in, in a lot of circles that we choose when we die. There's there's countless of stories of people who have been in the hospital or around their loved ones, and they they call their loved ones over and and they say their their bidding words, or their their um you know their farewells and things like that. And the the mother, the father, the grandmother, whoever it is. They're kind of giving out these last few words and they kind of know that, you know, I'm I'm going to be out of here soon. And then you hear so many stories about, you know, how they just close their eyes and they just die. And to me, that sounds like choice. Like they said, okay, I'm done. And they kind of close their eyes and go. So I think if there's an element to that that's true, if it is true that way, then to the same thing to a person who's suffering terminally with an illness or condition that there's no hope for. I think they should have that same choice to do it in in that sense, like, I want to leave here. So their body may not be fully cooperating with them at that time, but they should still be able to do that legally.
1: Mm -hmm. My sister offered up something to me the other day. She was saying, I don't know how we got on the subject of assisted suicide, but she was saying something to the effect of, it's my life. Shouldn't I have a, a say in when it ends? if I want to kind of thing. And she said something to the effect of, you know, uh, we have the right to, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But why, why can't it be the opposite of life too? Like, I don't know if that makes sense. I'm not articulating that super well, but if you catch my drift, like if I have the right to life, I also have the right to, unalive myself kind of thing, which does make sense to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And before our Christian friends get too upset over this topic, Mm -hmm. uh, I will point out the Bible verse that says that Jesus dismissed his spirit, which is what came to (sighs) mind, Kyle, when you were talking about, uh, you know, somebody at the end of their life. I mean, I've been in the hospital room as a pastor with so many people who've passed away. Yeah. And I've been there. Mm-hmm. when they said their final goodbyes. And I've been there when you could just see them make the choice that yep. it was over and they dismissed their spirit and they went home, yep. wherever that is. And uh, we're going to pick up there on the next episode and we'll be talking about what happens after we die. So I hope everybody will join us. Again, if you're struggling, this cannot be said enough. If you're struggling tonight and you wonder if there's any point in going on, please, please, please call or text 988 or visit the 988lifeline.org. That'll be in the show notes, so you can just click the link. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's been great to be with you guys.
1: Thanks, guys. Love you.
0: Thank you. Love you guys.
1: Stay safe.